We live in a fast-paced and hectic world where it's easy to feel overwhelmed, stressed, and out of control. How do you manage all the competing pressures without losing sense of yourself? How do you stay focused enough to not only plot a path, but follow it? Welcome to Recovery Road, a show that offers inspiration, insight, and intelligence, as well as success stories from many walks of life that can show you how you can control your own destiny. Our knowledgeable and entertaining hosts and their guests give practical advice that you can use every day on your road to recovery. Now, here are your hosts, Leah Mattinson and Greg Bird. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Master Your Life, the show of insight, intelligence, and inspiration, where I ask you each episode to consider who is it you are right now and who is it that you would most love to be? What kind of life are you trying to create? What are the things that are getting in your way? And how can you bust through those things to really achieve and feel happiness and satisfaction in your life? Uh, This episode, we're talking about divine well-being and financial wellness with Greg Bird. Welcome, Greg, back to the show again. Ah, thank you again, Leah. Again, I'm honored to be here. I'm back in the birdhouse again today. As you see, I left the main office and I said, see ya, I'm gone for the afternoon. So I get to display my uh, beautiful family above me here. So glad to be back and excited to uh, introduce one of my best friends going back a decade ago, uh, Teresa Llewellyn. Teresa, welcome to Leah's stage. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Happy to be here. And I am in the office. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> in the office experiencing a Calgary Chinook. So life is good. Life is, life good. is good. So it's seven was, degrees today. I'll take it. Perfect. I was excited to meet Teresa and have her on, or on the show because she's had a, an astonishing health journey. Uh, and I think that a lot of people who've gone through challenges in their life, and particularly in 2020 and 2021, who've never lived through unreasonable circumstances, um, have really struggled with maintaining their physical health, their mental health, their emotional health. And uh, this is just a really timely interview because Teresa's got quite an amazing story and she was generous enough to connect with um, myself after Greg introduced uh, her to me and, and her work and her life. And so I feel very honored to have Teresa with us because she's a shining light and a shining example of what people can actually do to rally to have a better life, even in spite of un reasonable circumstances. So Greg, maybe you could give Teresa just a little bit more of a, an intro. And then yes, yeah. So this actually came about from episode three, Uh, right at the beginning of the new year, we talked about perspective for 2021. And I scrolled through all the garbage to come to Teresa's post that was a magnificent post about her journey and just the strength, the perseverance, everything that Teresa talked about in that uh, really gave it context to what we were talking about for 2021. So just to give the audience and the listeners a little bit more of a background, Teresa and I met uh, when we worked with the Standard Life Company. Great culture, great people, great company. And it was a funny set of circumstances that uh, how we met. And Leah, you laughed. Your I did. <laughs> you heard this. So we have actually created this new dance. Do you want to know what it is? I'm dying to know. As an Alberta so, two-stepper from a way back, I want to know. <laughs> thank God I had six aunties on my mom's side of the family that taught me how to two-step. But at one particular country dance in good old Stampede in Calgary, Alberta, we invented the two-step with a piggyback involved. So that's is how we met, ironically <laughs> going way back. And we have been best friends ever since. And 
through the ups and downs, one thing, Teresa was amazing the day I met her, but um, even she's never lost her smile through everything that she's endured over the last little bit in her journey. And just to give you some little context uh, to that, it's been a pretty emotional roller coaster to say the least for Teresa. And Teresa, I'm just going to let you take it away. Uh, yes, it has been. It's been one heck of a, I always called it the detour in my life, the detour, everything kind of got put on hold. Um, I used to be a fitness competitor. So I was a bikini fitness competitor. I placed in uh, third place in national or fourth place, actually nationals, um, in 2017. And I was going to go back to the national stage in 2018. That was going to be, I was going to crush it. We, we killed it in 2017. We were moving forward. And on January 11th of 2018, I was um, diagnosed with, or sorry, in 2019, I took 2018 off. So sorry, should go backwards. Um, so it was January 11th, 2019, I was diagnosed with uh, stage three and stage two breast cancer. Um, it was never anything that was ever in my family. Um, we never would have never in a million years thought it um, would ever happen to me. Uh, and it was one of those things. We always say that with everything, it would never happen to me but it wasn't in my family history. So of course it was even a bigger shock. Um, I went through that journey. Uh, I went through that journey harder than I could possibly imagine. It, it gutted me. It really did. It was one of those things that cancer took a lot from me um, in that year. It took my hair, it took my breasts, it took everything um, possible that you could imagine. I went through the, went through uh, 28 rounds of radiation and I went through eight rounds of extreme chemo. Um, and then surgery, but, uh, but the one biggest, biggest thing that I learned in that journey was the value of time. And that was my biggest thing. I, you know, I always said that cancer would never define me. It would be part of me, but it would never define me. And one of the biggest things was coming through that a changed person, you know, no matter how much cancer can be so negative, cancer was so in many ways, positive in my life. It was that time that I actually stepped back to reevaluate life and to look at life differently and through a different lens. Um, and that was one of the biggest journeys I think I probably ever went through versus going through cancer. Um, and at the end of that cancer journey, I met the love of my life. I did. I met the love of my life and I met him at the um, run for the cure and it was a breast cancer run. And I would have never been there if I went to had breast cancer and I met him there and it, changed my life, like changed my life. I always said that something even more amazing came out of breast cancer. Um, and he wanted my 2020 to start out excellent compared to my 2019. And he proposed uh, at 1201, it was a little after midnight, we had to be home for the dogs, is what he said. And he proposed and uh, nine days later, it backfired in their face. Um, I was diagnosed with uh, stage two lower rectal cancer. Uh, was I was an anomaly, I guess, in so many ways, I was going through massive cancer treatment. And one of the side effects I had just never stopped. Um, and it was a side effect of chemo. So the doctors never checked, um, but they would have found it uh, if they would have checked. So it backfired on us nine days later. And uh, it was one thing that I never, never saw coming, but it was okay. I was angry. I went through probably a week of crying and anger more than I could possibly imagine of why, why, why. Um, but the biggest thing is, as I always said to everybody is don't, I don't want to hear, I'm sorry, you're going through this, or I'm sorry, you're doing this. People don't want to hear that when they have cancer, you don't want to hear, I'm so sorry, this happened to you. It's happened. <laughs> it's here. 
And what am I going to do with it? Um, I had to switch doctors, a whole new team um, through GI cancer versus breast cancer. And it was one cancer that absolutely took me to hell and back. I thought breast cancer was bad. That was, that was a cakewalk compared to what lower rectal cancer was. So I finished that journey on um, November 4th was my last, uh, November 4th of my breast cancer was 2020 is when I finished that. That was an 11 month journey. And mine was October 14th was my 10 month uh, journey. And I ended that. So been a long journey and a long road. Wow. Wow. And you, you know, what's amazing, Teresa, you've been very public about this journey. And I commend you for that, because it serves as an inspiration for so many that may be viewing, listening, and your whole following you've created across your network that has been phenomenal. And one thing I'm going to share with you is we start this show actually with a meme of the day. And every time I sort through all the garbage, we're teaching everyone to sift through all the garbage on their phones and find a good one. Mm -hmm. Every single time yours is at least in the top five of good ones. So to really set the stage and thank you for sharing that initial context to help everyone understand what exactly you've been through in just this very, very short time frame. But there is one that you posted here today. And when I sent it to Leah, Leah was like, that's it. So this is the one is it says Teresa Llewellyn is with Joey, right? Joey being your fiance. Um, and it's a quote and it says, trust the one who can see these three things in you. Sorrow behind your smile, love behind your anger and reason behind your silence with a little kissy emoji. I thought that was absolutely uh, beautiful. Leah, your comments when I shared that with you. Yeah, I said, that's the one that's spot on because so many times we just shut down or we think um, to your to your point about we don't want to hear. Um, I'm sorry, but we do want to hear it. We want to have that bit of human compassion. And in that quote, I think you showed what we're looking for, which is yeah. that we're not ignored, that it's not an ignored thing and a pushed aside thing or a pushed away thing, but it's actually acknowledged. Um, and how can I help? You know, I'm sorry that's happening. And how can I help? Um, which are two things I think that don't necessarily get put together very nicely, very often. It's often just the, oh, I'm so sorry. And, you know, we're not going to do anything to help you. <laughs> There's yeah, not really going to be any real help here. So, exactly. you know, okay, then thanks. And I wish I wouldn't have told you. <laughs> but yeah, so I love that. I love that. And I, what I uh, really appreciated about uh, your story, too, is that your husband, arrived like just in the nick of time he'd already been through this with somebody in his family so what was his who who had he been through this with and how did that make him strong for being a support to you um joey saw me right at the end of my radiation so he i had about 12 rounds of radiation left when i met joey um but he saw his uh grandmother go through what I had, what I was about to be faced with when it came down to colorectal cancer and the surgery that I was going to have to be faced with. And he lost his grandmother, unfortunately, but yeah, it's, that's who he saw go through what I had gone through. Yeah. So that really did educate him about how to be a support or how to run away. So kudos to him for, yeah. you know, being the king of hearts that he said he was at the beginning of the year and hanging in there. I think a lot of times you see that in disease and when people are going through distress in their lives that their partners all of a sudden, you know, run away and the support system that you thought you had doesn't end up being the support system you thought you had, right? It's like, oh, surprise, what just happened there? Oh, they're gone. <laughs> so thanks, Joey, good job. 
Good job being an inspiration to other men uh, stick around and women as well. Were there people in your support network that surprised you that they didn't stick around or that they didn't actually help in ways that you thought they might? It was massive. You know, yeah, there was all, there was that group of people that I thought would be at the forefront that really I thought would have been at the forefront Mm -hmm. and the people who really were at the forefront were completely opposite of what I expected. You know, I had people in the very beginning of my breast cancer journey say, you know, I'm going to be there for you and then slowly, but surely go away. Um, And then, you know, my mom wasn't in my, it wasn't in my corner through both of my journeys. And that was really difficult for me to deal with. Very, very hard for me to wrap my hand around is, you know, your mom as being, you know, you're the forefront. And I lost my dad to cancer in 2016. Um, And so that was hard enough to deal with, but then it was like, here's your daughter going through both of both of these, you know, you could get the opportunity to step up to the plate. But I think the biggest thing is, is you really, truly, truly find who you want in your corner, who's going to be behind you in adversity more than you ever will in prosperity. Prosperity, everybody will be there, but adversity is who you really find out, who your truest friends. Wow, words of wisdom there. Uh, I'm going to, first of all, Teresa, I, I thank you for for opening up and sharing that with it because we've, we've heard now from uh, other guests too that, you know, sometimes it's that surprise that can take us off guard and Maybe if you could share a little bit with the, the the listeners, a little of the things that Joey did to stick by your side. If there was like maybe one big thing, two big things that you felt was super valuable for all the ones are listening, helping somebody through this journey, what would it be? I think the biggest thing is, is when you're going through a massive cancer, if it's a cancer battle, or if it is, you know, losing your job and you have nowhere to go and anything else, but I think the biggest part is, is you can't forget that they're there. You have no idea what they're going through in their shoes to actually watch it. And that was one of the biggest things with Joey Um, going through it. He was so helpless because there was nothing he could do. There was nothing he could do to take away the pain. There was nothing he could do to take away the cancer. There was nothing he could do that was going to lay out the foundation of what was going to happen to me in surgery, especially in the fact that I went in and I had to stay in the hospital for five days and he couldn't see me at all. So the biggest thing is, is just, you can't, you kind of forget they're not your punching bag. They're really not your punching bag. And there were times I know he probably wanted to stab me in the eyes with a fork. I'm pretty sure he did, but, but you just, you have to step back because they, they have to watch it all happen. And that's where, you know, at times you kind of become introverted a little bit because it's all about what you're going through and all about what you're doing, but never realize the impact that it's having on the people that are watching it happen. And I think that's one of the biggest things is just to be a bit more gentle to the people that are around you, because he could have ditched out that door at any point in time throughout that whole journey. If I just were paraphrase something I heard there, if I were to get it right on. Uh, love is patient. And you had said another thing about you yeah. turned introverted. I would never, ever, ever thought that Teresa Llewellyn I've known and loved for the last 10 plus years would ever have introverted in the same sentence as Teresa Llewellyn. So Leah, actually, if you want to draw some um, parallels to that and what we've heard, even in the last little bit about introverted, extroverted, things like that, going through a trauma. Yeah, I think a lot of people and me included went into Hermitville and very lots of introspection when I had my the diagnosis for the Huntington's disease. And 
I also thought I was my own best doctor because there was no doctors around to actually give me any information. They said they didn't have any information to come back when I was symptomatic. And I went, what? That seems like a crazy solution. So I just, you know, I got on my research hat and went, okay, how am I going to make my brain better? And, you know, did, did some pretty significant research, but you can't do that when you're, you know, out there in the world, uh, you know, so completely dropped off social media. I couldn't have cared less if anyone ever took a picture of me in the last 15 years at all. It's anything to do with any of that seems like a big, lot of effort um, because I am, I am introverted, even though I've got the, the show, my work is always internal work of how I'm managing my own energy. What am I learning? How am I managing it? How am I staying well? Um, and, and to my, um, failing is that I didn't actually see what I was doing with to my children at that time. Um, so they were very young, 10 and 11. And I just went crazy on being healthy. Like, so I had children, so they were relying on me to, you know, be the mom. I was also going through a divorce at the same time, which was just, it was really bad. The whole thing was very bad. Um, so I just was training all the time. I was, you know, running in the Okanagan, I'd run five miles, then I'd run 10 miles and I'd come back and then I'd go lift weights somewhere. And then I'd go jump on the beach and people patted me on the back for that, you know, for living this really extreme lifestyle, but, um, the children got left in the dust. So my nobility, the, the reason I said why I was doing all that was so that I would be healthy for them. Ironically, I was completely absent for them. <laughs> it was just yeah. like, right? It was just like this bizarre. Now looking back, you know, 12 years later, and, and now we've discussed it as a family, how, you know, I went a little bit off the rails there for sure. I was just, <laughs> sorry guys. And they still love me, but yeah, I can totally um, relate and appreciate that, that these other people who are in our lives, um, it's hard for them. It's hard for them to watch. And my children are also at risk for this. Well, actually they're, they're more than at risk. We know that one of them has uh, the disease that I have. So they've, you know, progressed long enough in life. Um, and your cancer is genetic, right? Like, so maybe you could speak a little bit to that before I get too into the weeds in my story. Let's hear your, so, so how did you get this? You said it's genetic, but you're, you didn't have anyone or know anyone who had had this. We didn't, um, colon cancer, stomach cancer, and, um, yeah, stomach cancer, colon cancer ran in my family. My dad had multiple myeloma. Multiple myeloma is a bad luck cancer. There's no gene for it. It's just bad luck. And he had it for nine years um, and fought to the nail. My dad will always be one of my heroes. He totally will be one of my heroes. And at the end, he was tired. He was done fighting. He was. And it's amazing of how powerful the mind is. And that's one thing that I learned from my dad going through my journey. And I learned it also from one of my coaches, Darren from Freak fitness taught me mind over matter. And if I wouldn't have had those two role models in my life to really teach me how to use the mind and be powerful with the mind, I wouldn't be where I am today. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't have been the positive. I would have probably went in and been the victim mode and I was never the victim mode. And so when I was diagnosed with breast cancer, um, and it was only because I found a lump in my right breast, I, that was it, but not knowing that in my left breast had the worst cancer. Um, and when I was diagnosed with both in both breasts, the first thing that my oncologist said to me is I'll guarantee you have the gene. Um, and that's the BRCA two gene. He said, because most women that have that get breast cancer in both, uh, in both breasts have the gene. If they don't, if they get it, one breast don't have the gene. So we had to genetically test to see if I had the gene and I actually have the BRCA two gene. That is the cause for my colorectal cancer also is the BRCA two gene. So it was finding out something that, you know, got passed on from one of my parents, not sure which parent it was, but it was passed on and, you know, not have 
having any of my other family members, my sister or my brother, you know, experiencing any of that was a bit of, it was a bit of a shock to all of us. It was a shock to everyone. My brother still doesn't want to be tested. He doesn't, he kind of goes through that. I want to test to know because he has some colon issues, but then he's like, I don't really want to know because he's got a young daughter. She can't be tested till she's 18. You know, it's that thing of, you know, you don't sit down when you're ready to have a baby and go check. I'll give her this. I'll give her this. I'll give her this. Right. It it happens. And somewhere along the way it happened. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So Teresa, you talked about some really good uh, people in your corner there with the, your coach. And uh, was there anyone else that really kind of added that fuel to your fire? Because, you know, you just seem like you're just keeping your head up the whole time through this whole journey. I must say that from the, my perspective of seeing what you would post and being public, who, who else in your was in your corner that really made an impact? I have some of the truest girlfriends you could possibly ever meet in the face of this. Oh my God. My brother, my brother called me every morning, um, the day of chemo. So he called me every morning to see how it was every day for radiation. We FaceTimed at the end of my radiation for me to ring the bell. Um, but I have the truest, truest girlfriends, um, that are just beyond phenomenal that they never let me go to a chemo session alone. We, we, (laughs) we, Right. We were known as the fun and the really loud girls in the because <laughs> we would just laugh the entire time. I would always bring in cookies for the, for the nurses and we would laugh the entire time. You know, even though by the time that I walked in there, I felt like a million bucks. And by the time I left, I it was like death. Like the girl said is you just, it sucked the life right out of you. And I would be sick for days. Um, but it was, I couldn't have done it without them. And then when I went through my second journey, it was funny because Michelle, who you know really well from Standard Life, um, she said to me, she goes, the thing is, is we've already been through this once with you. We're just ready to put the gloves back on and we're going to just fight with you. She goes, Joey hasn't had the gloves on yet. So we're going to help him put them on. And that was one of the biggest things that they were an advocate, not just for me, they were going to be there for Joey to help him through this because they had just watched me go through it for 11 months. So my girlfriend. Yeah. I love yeah. that. And I love the sports analogy. So thank you all the loud girls. Thank you, Michelle. <laughs> this is a toast to all of you out there that helped Teresa on this journey. Cause again, we need more good warriors like that. I believe in this world. Um, and Teresa, you, you really uh, made a point there. It's, it's whatever journey you're going through. Cause there can be so many different curveballs and struggles with cancer being one. You said, you even said losing your job could be catastrophic for a family or a family unit or an individual going through that. So again, we've talked a lot about s- support systems. So Lee, if you want to weigh in on, on that and that just that true importance of that team and knowing who to put on that team. Yeah, uh, I think it's incredible that you've got wonderful girlfriends. That's really an awesome, it's an awesome advantage. I think the other thing that people often don't have depending on what else is going on in their life is good financial support. Um, so when you're fighting a disease, that's one thing. But when you're fighting a disease and also don't have any finances to do the fight or to maintain the roof over your head or uh, a community that's going to rally around you, that makes it almost impossible. So and you guys are both working in the field where you're helping people to um, have financial uh, certainty around these things. And uh, but it can be a very big difference between life or death. Um, the ability to laugh and be free and all that often comes from our feeling grounded and rooted. Now, we know when we get a little further down the path in 
uh, illness that it really isn't about any of that. It's really about just letting go and letting God because you really don't have any control over your finances or your health. <laughs> you know, so if you're going to get hit by a train, you're going to get hit by a train. But it's certainly much nicer when you can have, you know, some certainty underneath of you that you, um, you know, you have your roof over your head and stuff. So you, maybe you guys could speak to that, how you can help people to plan for those um, things. That's a good point, Leah. And yes, we are. And again, being when working for Standard Life, which one of I believe was still one of the greatest life insurance companies of its time in Canada, still operating in the UK. So shout out to all your UK listeners uh, tuning in today. Uh, wonderful, wonderful company. Great culture, great people, and most of all, great solutions. And I tell you one thing that was taught to me, and I've mentioned him before, uh, Tracy. You remember this guy, Ken Kukinen? He was one of my true oh. mentors. In yeah. this business, Mr. Ken Kukin. Yeah. And he said to me once, and I'll never forget what he said, is people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Mm -hmm. And there's someone who yes. cared in this business, in this lifetime, enough to create an insurance for when someone's diagnosed with cancer. And that was Dr. Bernard from South Africa. And he created critical illness insurance. So in the time when you could need it the most, you could actually make a claim on that. Um, I'll share one personal story of one client that I dealt with, God, right at the beginning of my career, 17 years ago. And I had set up this type of insurance and she, she hummed and hawed about it for a number of meetings before she actually purchased the insurance. And she called me exactly a year later to the day. And it wasn't a large policy by any means, but it was tax-free dollars to the tune of $50,000 where she actually had breast cancer. And then she, what she did was take the whole next year off so she could actually go through that journey and have that fight without having that financial stress of having to go to work the next day or the next month after getting her diagnosis and took that time. So that's one story of many, many, many of uh, some of the solutions. And, you know, if there's anything good in that story is that she actually had some financial help at the time that she was. And what was rewarding for me was actually being the guy to actually deliver that check for her and make sure that she was able to take care of herself. So Teresa, I'm going to turn it back over to you. And, you know, you, you're in this business as well, a little different line of business than me on the insurance side, but, uh, you know, maybe share some strategies with the viewers, the listeners of kind of, kind of what helped you through that time. I think one of the biggest things is um, I had life insurance. I got life insurance I think probably about eight, nine years ago. Um, and I remember my insurance agent said to me, she goes, you know, what about critical, like critical life insurance? And I said, no, you know what? I'm good. I'm healthy. I'm working out. I'm doing all this other stuff. I don't need it. Um, only to find out that, you know, how many years later I was diagnosed with breast cancer and how much that would have come into, into effect. And it would have been great. Um, but I've always said it, um, you know, when my dad died of cancer, he didn't have a life insurance policy. So that burden fell onto the family. And I was never going to let my family ever have that burden if something were to happen to me that I couldn't afford, that they couldn't afford to, you know, pay my mortgage or my car payment, especially because I'm here in Canada and they're all in the States. Um, so that's why I got the life insurance policy. And I couldn't be more grateful because my rate is held for 20 years and I am a cancer survivor twice over. And without me or me going in and getting it now, oh, of the exclusions that I would have, especially because I have the BRCA2 gene, which impedes my ability for a lot of things. 
um, critical illness. I remember I, you know, before, right in, after I was diagnosed with breast cancer, I went and finished that journey. And then I asked about critical illness and getting it was outrageous. And they put this disclaimer in there for two years that I couldn't, if something happened to me because of my breath, like the BRCA2 or my previous cancer, I wasn't going to be covered. So it never made any sense, but I could never say it. I worked through my entire breast cancer journey. My boss was amazing. My company was amazing. My team was amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, to be able to give me that time to work from home when I needed to work from home of being so sick, I love what I do. It kept my mind sharp. It kept my mind ingrained in something else without having to focus in on cancer. Um, and that journey, it gave me that ability to do something with which I felt with my life because my life was so dictated by all of my appointments and cancer. But if I could give two cents of advice to anybody, get life insurance, get critical illness, because we all say it to ourselves. It'll never happen to me. It'll never happen to me. Well, it happens. It does. And when it happens, what do you do? You panic. Can you get into that mode of what do I do now? What do I do now? And you, what do you do now? Mm -hmm. And that is the biggest thing, you know, all of my girlfriends, as I shared my journey on social media, and I said, if I can impact the life of one person, this, then I've done my job. If I can inspire one person, I've done my job of all the women that I empowered to go out and get a mammogram was unbelievable. My girlfriends have had to fight their doctors to get a mammogram. My other friends that went out and got life insurance because they never had life insurance. And some of them even had kids and they never had life insurance. You know, what do you do with your family? If you were, if something were to happen, get critical illness. If you can get critical illness now because you're healthy, get it. You never need it until you're unhealthy. Right? So those are my two cents. If you can get both of them, get both of them because something will change in your life and your world. And you are, put it bluntly, screwed. Well, you could be, uh, you brought up a very couple good points. Um, the fact that number one, that you kept working, I commend you for that going through that time, but you said something that we've heard resonated on a few episodes, Leah, and I saw you smile when she said it, she loves what she does. Yeah. Um, yeah. if you want to comment on that, that whole thing of being in the flow and how that can really pump up your mental health, that really helps you get through something like this. Yeah. You get really disattached from the stuff that doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> when, you've got, when you've got a death sentence, it's like, what? Oh, well, whatever you just said, I'm not doing that because that has nothing to do with my living a happy and healthy life. I think part of what's um, beautiful about the story you're sharing too, is that the people who you care about were at work, your family um, was Joey, you know, so other people who are going through this um, that have children or whatever, they're um, what their purpose in life is, is going to maybe be different than what your purpose was in life. So you had work. I know for me, when I got my diagnosis, that I looked at my kids and went, okay, then, well, that's a completely different life now that we're going to be living because it with, um, with Huntington's like for you, uh, I wasn't not eligible in my entire life for any life insurance ever. I've never been, I've never been eligible because there was, you know, there's genetic discrimination in Canada against people with Huntington's disease up until the end of 2017. Uh, you couldn't even get it. And so now once your family's identified, then you can't have any at all ever. You can't even get a mortgage because you can't get uh, mortgage insurance. So it's just a very bizarre life, right? So uh, yeah, so flash forward now 12 years later, and you know, knowing that one of my family members has the disease, if you, if you have an option to get something in place so that you have 
um, an easier life, then why wouldn't you do that? And also to take the pressure off your kids, because I know the financial pressure on our family was absolutely intense and incredibly intense uh, all the time. So when you have the freedom and some options, because that's what it gives you is options. We, we don't live in a bush or in a jungle where we can go out and grow our food or grab a thing of bananas. You know, we're living in Canada where it's snow 10 months of the year. You can grow food for about two months. And I grew up on a farm, so I'm realistic about these things. People go, oh, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. It's like, seriously, you've got to be able to have a food, a food source, guys. You've got to be able to keep the lights on. So, you know, this is a, the, these are real problems. And finances are such a cause of fighting also. So if you're in a family, you're struggling with finances, there's the fight you know, you want to love the person that's going through this stuff. And then there's also the fight of, well, come on, you know, like we got to figure out how to make all these, keep all these balls going. So, so finding the things that inspire is really important. My kids inspired me um, to be well and to not go the train wreck of drinking or, or doing drugs, because I think a lot of people do that when they get the diagnosis of something that's tough. And I looked at them and went, well, that's not going to be, that's not going to be my story. And that's not going to be their genetic legacy. So it's like with the genetic inheritances, I got a lot of really, really awesome ones. I got a lot of really great unicorn ones, you know, the red hair, the blue eyes, the, the smarts, all that stuff. And then I got this other thing that's keeping me a lot more humble. <laughs> yep. yep. It's a little oh, bit of humility. Right? <laughs> yeah. Those lovely genetics. Yeah. Okay, you can universe. pick and choose what you're made up of, but you can pick and choose how you react to it. I think that's the biggest, the biggest thing. Yeah, exactly. Every day and every moment and every, in every breath, we can choose how we respond for yeah. sure. For sure. And the inspirations can change too. You know, I used to be inspired by working out and go and working hard, uh, but I find that's changed. Have you found that your inspirations have changed over any at oh. all over the last couple of years or less? Everything, everything about me has changed. Um, absolutely everything. The one biggest part is where I don't I don't let the small stuff bother me at all. And I'm able to walk away from something that doesn't add value to my life or meaning to my life. If I have a friendship that doesn't add value to my life or meaning to my life, it's just not worth it. Sorry. See you later. Bye. I'm on my way. Um, before I used to just kind of drag it out and drag it out, you know, and how you have faith or hope in people, I guess is the best part of it. And it's like, no, you, you gotta go, you gotta go. And I just don't even look back. I really, honestly, I don't look back. And because life is life is until you're faced. And that's what, you know, I, I try to tell Joey that too, you know, it's, he's always looking for the next thing. Like, Hey, what's, what's up next weekend? What are we doing this? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm focusing it on today because that's all I do. Because when you're faced with your own mortality, you don't look to tomorrow because you don't know if you're going to make it through today. And until you're faced with your own mortality, you really honestly do not have a clue of what is going to happen in the future. And you really don't care because you're just focusing in on how can I make today great? Mm -hmm. And that is the biggest thing that I came out of this with is just the vision of everything. You know, before it used to be the gym and working out, that's, I was a competitor. That's all my life was. And now I'm like, I love my working out, but it just enhances my life. It's not my life. Mm -hmm. I have so many other things that are my life. Yeah. Like Sunday night football. Oh, <laughs> go Packers! Go, go Chiefs! Go Chiefs! I need Brady to go down. Chiefs? I thought you were a Packers fan. <laughs> I am a Packers fan, but my Packers aren't in the Super Bowl this year. Oh, uh, okay. Well, anyway, I'm going to quote you. You said this quote, and I want the listeners and the viewers to remember what you said. If it doesn't enhance you, then why are you doing it? Mm -hmm. Yep. Right. 
I like that. And then you said another thing in that, right? You followed up with um, something about money. If you waste your money, you've just lost your money. But if you waste your time, you've lost a part of your life. If you want to dive a little deeper on that one of the meaning you had behind that. That was brilliant that you said that. We take so many things for granted. We do. We take so many things for granted. We take our health for granted. We take, you know, the sunny days for granted. We take so much for granted. And, you know, it, it takes us to face a tragedy. It's almost like when somebody passes that it's like, you know, why didn't I spend more time with them? Or why didn't I do this? Or why didn't I do that? And then, you know, a month later, we start getting back into the routine of life and we forget what lesson we just learned or that we talked about a month ago. And the one biggest thing that I've always said it is time. Everybody takes time for granted because we think that we have a lot of it until something happens that just sideswipes you and you don't have time. You know, I'll never forget those words of sitting in my doctor's office and him saying, you have cancer. Mm -hmm. And I wanted the world to stop spinning. I wanted the world to stop spinning. Why are we need to put the, we need, I need a pause button. I need a pause button. Well, my life put was put on pause for 11 months, but the world stuff kept spinning. Time kept moving. I just had to stop and I had to face and fight this journey. So everything else in my life got put on hold. And then when I started going back to life again, only for three months, only to be diagnosed with cancer again, and boom, my life to be put on hold again. And that's one thing that people just take for granted. They take for granted time. It's the one thing we all have, but it's the one thing that we're not in control of. We're not in control of time. We're not in control of so many things in our life. And people try to control this. You try to control that. I, you know, traffic today. Oh, it was terrible. It was terrible. Well, you can only go as fast as the car that's in front of you. So why are you going to let it ruin your day? It's be grateful that you actually made it home. And that's not what people do. They just focus in on what is in front of them of this is mean, this is bad, this is evil, this is this. Well, be grateful that you actually made it home safely because of how many other people out there didn't make it home safe today. Or how many people actually are sitting in that chair getting that news that I have cancer. Like there's so much of it, but people take for granted time. And that is one thing that I try to focus in on so much is time. Yeah, time and freedom, I think. Mm-hmm. Time and freedom is the other big illusion uh, that yeah. that gets taken away pretty quickly when you're um, sick. And I think that everyone can relate to this in 2020 as we see more and more freedoms being taken away uh, yeah. that we're conscious of it. And, you know, there's like these little tinklings of going, well, this isn't right. Something isn't right. Cause as human beings, we're born free. And so when yeah. something comes against us, that's a health problem or a whatever is the shenanigans going on currently in Canada and the world, uh, we know that something isn't right. We know something doesn't feel right. And we know something that's not in alignment. Uh, so it's that time and freedom things that are so valuable. One of the things I want to maybe throw to Greg is that, uh, and that you, to your point about Joey's role is that he looks to the future and you're kind of busy looking at the present PT present time, because you've had this experience of, really valuing every moment and going, how do I milk the most of this moment? And et cetera. And I can totally relate to that. So it's, but you're, you know, not necessarily forecasting out there very far. So Greg, can you maybe speak to that? Do you think that's a masculine thing or do you think that's just maybe a part of a, a, a yin and yang thing or what, what's your take on that? That's a great quest, 
or question, but you got me at Shenaniganifest again, because that's now a part of official part of my little tanner, my little redhead's vocabulary. You want to hear <laughs> a giggle, a nine-year-old kid giggle? Say Shenaniganifest fast, like three times. And weekend I said Shenaniganifest, and he just couldn't stop laughing. He was crying because he was laughing so hard. So that is a word. Look it up, folks. Shenaniganifest. I'm going to look that up. Banana, like banana, gana, fest. Shenaniganifest. Anyway. <laughs> Is it a masculine thing? Us guys, I think, just try to want to make everything right. We want to make sure that we've got control of things. So is it a masculine thing? It is for me. I feel that, you know, whether it's my relationship, my family, my kids, my work, everything, I've got a plan. And it's just me. I've always been kind of born a forward thinker and looking what's going to happen reverberate into the future. There's a lesson to be learned. And that's why I asked the question, how is Joey's role in all of this? And Teresa, I loved how you shared that your girlfriends actually had to train him on, on how to put the gloves on, so to speak. And way to go, Joey, for owning it, going from uh, cut man to now he's in the corner with the boxing gloves with you. Uh, something to be said about learning. And something in my heart is telling me that all the men of the world, if we're too forward thinking and, hey, everything's going to be rainbows and butterflies in the future, maybe dial it back, gentlemen, a little bit. Um, and again, speaking from this point of view, um, if I were going through that with Teresa at that time as Joey, yeah, I'd want to just try to reassure that, Hey, let's keep, let's keep looking out into the future as much as we can, but there's gotta be a compromise. Like going back to, you know, Teresa, you said there's some days you felt like the, the fork in the eyeball kind of analogy, I think is what you said. Yeah. There's going to be those times because we're human. We have all those emotions, right? There's going to be the ups, the downs and everywhere in between, so the lesson to be learned, Teresa, and I think it's just beautiful insight and intelligence. And really, you're serving as a true inspiration to the world of everyone listening here today and who will listen to this uh, broadcast that, you know, go with it, evolve with it. And it comes back to, you had said that love was patient and, and he was just with you along the journey every step of the way. And you guys have an exciting uh, year this year because you guys have actually picked a date. And what is that date? July 9th. July 9th. So way to go, Joey. Sticking it out, getting the gloves on. Um, we all know that Teresa is a fighter, but to be in her corner, what an honor that is. So Leah, does that answer your question? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think, well, because I think it's important that that not everybody can be honing in and looking in on the problem, that there has to be this balance of somebody has to be kind of um, able to be healthy outside of whatever the critical illness is that's going on that's on your team, because mm -hmm. eventually it will end or you'll be dead. So it will end one way or another. And one of the things that we try to fool ourselves into is that we're immortal and we're not like we're, we are born and we die. So just like everything in nature, it has its seasons and it has its beauty and it can go out in a blaze of glory, like a fall leaf, um, or you can make it really a horrible um, experience. So whether you're healing and overcoming critical illnesses or things that are unreasonable, uh, you, can, you can make that look like a glorious thing, a blaze of white lightning, or you can make it look like the most tragic thing in the world. And, you know, some people even take their lives early when they're dealing with this kind of stuff because they can't stand the tension of the fall. 
and the fall is the fall, meaning the autumn, the autumn in a seasonal um, sort of sense of things. You know, we have seasons in life for a reason and we're, we're, you know, not supposed to live forever. Mother nature has a way of kind of uh, making sure that that doesn't happen, but we age. And sometimes we have these blips along the way that are really critical and life-changing and give us inspiration to become more inner aware um, but the ability to kind of accept the fall is also something that as human beings, we've become very unaccustomed to. Like people don't celebrate death. I mean, look at now, holy moly, in this last year, not even be able to have funerals. I just saw a, not even kidding, a post, um, and I'll share it next week, maybe, but my, my daughter just sent to me a, uh, a uh, not a hospital, sorry, like a, a funeral home that recycles bodies that is how they are marketing themselves. So there's not a celebration of life. It's not a funeral. Uh, no, I know, I know. I was just the same look, the same look. It's like, you're kidding me. Yeah, so it's a recycling facility for people who died. <laughs> you can't even make this stuff up. But anyway, so there's no regard for life or that this journey is actually that we're living um, beings and that we have had value and that our life has had value on this journey and that celebrating uh, whether it's through a critical illness where say you wouldn't have made it, that it would have still been a really good fight and a really great story and a really incredible ending to Teresa Llewellyn. You know, just like if I become symptomatic, it's going to be a really great story and a really great epic and a really great awesome, you know, thing as I go out, but I'm going to allow the fall to happen. I'm going to allow that experience to happen. And I'm going to do my very best throughout that. But it doesn't mean I'm going to beat it. It just, But it doesn't mean I'm a failure either, right? It's like, oh, there's, she's a failure because she didn't figure that out. We all die. <laughs> so, so we all we all die. So kind of this, what kind of bright, you know, bright, shiny, are you going to be on the landscape to your point, you know, you get up in the morning, and you're happy, and you drive through traffic, and you're happy, and you go for chemo, and you're happy, and you bring all your happily happy friends along with you. And you get rid of and discard the things that are not serving you, the buds that the fruit of the tree that didn't turn out to be maybe may very nourishing fruit. And then you figure out how to nourish and sustain yourself, but also understanding that the natural process of life is one of letting go of aging of this, you know, the body does break down and that that's a natural it's a natural process. So the other thing that's important in terms of finances around this, because I don't know that people think about it either, is your illness can be very long. Illnesses can be very long and take a long, a lot of effort from the family, a lot of caretaking from the family. I know in my, in our case, because this Huntington's is generational, um, that people are sick for years and years and years at a time, like decades. Uh, they're put into care homes, you know, when they're in their early 30s, for example. And then they live out their life in, in unable to earn an income, you know, so there are this, you know, this whole very interesting group of people that still need to have our care and concern and that still are living their up level glorious life in that scenario. Uh, but the family still have to be prepared somehow to help um, to facilitate those um, placements or the treatments or the you know, genuine care and not just turning us into this body recycling thing. <laughs> it's like, whoa, whoa, right? I know Teresa's just like, 
I don't know if I want to come back recycled. I mean, can I take my gene out at the same time while they do that? I, don't I ask that question a lot, Teresa. Yeah. <laughs> the answer is no, I have asked. <laughs> I have no, asked. I think it's, I think it's, you know, and that's the thing, um, you know, and I've always realized it too, is you can't control what happens in your life. And there's so many things that we can't. And you, you tend to figure that out. I think as you age, I, I, you know, in my forties now I'm, I'm finding out more and more and more, but you know, because you always wanted to control everything. And that is one of the biggest things that we, we can't, there's so many things that we can't control, but we can control our outlook on things. And I think that's one of the biggest things. It's our outlook and it's our positive attitude and our moving forward. You know, there is that song by Gary Allen, every storm runs out of rain, but yet you still can't have the rain. You can't have a rainbow without the rain. So it's, yeah, life is, life unfolds. It is not going to sit around and wait for us and it will continue to unfold and it will set, it will definitely deal us some of the most crappiest hands and it will deal with some of the greatest hands. You know, we always said it before, you never see bad times in photographs. Well, life happens. Yeah. I'm going to build on a little bit of what you said, Teresa, and it goes back to what you said about guys planning ahead. So did Joey actually pick the day, July the 9th, so you guys have something to work towards, or did you guys come up with that day together? We actually came up with that day together because it's if the world went back to normal, it would be the last weekend of Stampede. Oh, I knew there was a correlation to Stampede. <laughs> How did I know? Intuitively, it would be the last. If the world so, went back to normal, it would be the Okay. My follow-up question to that is, um, now that you've beat cancer and you've been now in remission, you've beat it twice, you know, are you, how, how do you find it looking out into the future? Do you find that you're, you're able to look one year, three year, five years now, or wh where are your thoughts on that? No, I'm still today. Still today. I'm still today. Yeah. I'm still today. I might plan for the weekend coming up, but I'm still today. Yeah. That'll never change. It really, honestly, will never change. It's, I can suck every moment I possibly can out of it um, and suck every moment out of the moment I'm in. And that's the moment. That's where I want to be. I want to be in the moment that I'm in. I don't want to look ahead of, you know, I got to go do this or I got to go do that. It's right now. I'm here in carpe diem. Is that a good way to paraphrase that? I think it is. I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Life is life is one of the most precious gifts we are ever given. One of the most precious gifts we're ever given. And people take it so for granted. They really, really do. And it's sad because, you know, I watch it. I watch people, especially on social media, you know, you watch life unfolding and you watch their life continue to unfold. But yet then also on social media, you just see one little aspect of their life. I want to see all the aspects of your life, you know, and that was one of the things I said to Joey when I first met him, I don't want to see all the great things about you. I want to see the bad things about you too. I want to see the annoying things about you. I want to see all of that because I want to see you. And I think that's one thing that we, you know, social media, we can, we can basically bet that, you know, only show people what we want to show people. Well, life happens. Let's show all aspects of life, good or bad. And that was one of the things that I shared about, you know, my journeys was the goods and bads of cancer and the goods and bads of what it does. Um, you know, obviously there's some, there's scenes behind the scenes that nobody ever sees, um, you know, but I remember when Joey had said to me at one point, because the last cancer I went through gutted me, it literally took me to hell and back and I'll never forget it. Um, but I remember him slowly saying, I can see you coming back. 
Like I could see you coming and it was like, it was almost to me like a climb. It was this climb that I needed to get back, you know, because it had taken me to the depths of hell. And it was, you know, how am I going to get back from this? And it was slowly baby steps to get there, but it, I got there, I got there and I'm still finishing up a little bit of my breast cancer journey. Um, but I'm, but I'm there, I'm here, I'm alive. And I think that's the biggest part of it is I came out different, but I came out for the better different. To build upon your social media sharing, I think there's some words of wisdom you can share with the listeners, with the viewers of, you know, maybe the what to do, what not to do. And you identified a few of them there as, you know, don't let it define you. Don't, don't make it that like, if you're going to share the journey with the good and the bad, you know, please share with everybody, you know, what are some tips that they need to hear if they're going through it, whether they're the ones dealing with the illness or whether they're the loved one with them going through the illness, what should they do? What shouldn't they do? I think that'd be very valuable to know. I think it's just being honest, like just being straightforward and honest, you know, when, um, when my colorectal cancer, I'm left with a colostomy for the rest of my life. Um, so cancer has taken a lot of my body parts. Um, but I was really embarrassed by that. I was, I was embarrassed by it, It, you know, and it's none of my doing. I had cancer, this had to be removed. And this is the consequence of that being removed. Mm -hmm. But it was, it was, once you get past that, there is no embarrassment for what you're going through. It's life. It happened. It happened to you. You just never know what you're being faced with that could help inspire somebody else. I was faced with a colostomy and I was embarrassed about it, but I still shared about it. Um, people probably didn't know that as much as that I was embarrassed by it, but I shared it because if I could share that this is what cancer took and it changed my life for the rest of my life, maybe it could help somebody that something happened in their life that changed their life and it's going to impact their life forever, but it sees that we still go on. And that's what you do. You still, life is still happening. Life is in order. We have to keep going. Mm -hmm. Love that. And I think that you're, that's just spot on too, especially around the, when people want to dip into the pool of victimhood and really can't see their way out of whatever is their current situation. And we place so much value on the body because that's the skin we came here in that it's very hard when we see things changing or morphing or not exactly the way that we would want it because you were a fitness model. I was really athletic too, and did some bottling as well, but yeah. yeah so when those things change, that you go, yeah. okay, then. So now what do I do with that? Um, it's almost empowering though. Hey, it, there's some empowerment in going, okay, this is how it is. And I'm going to own it um, with pride and, and just going yeah. here, here it is. Um, so that other people uh, aren't crippled by that information too. Cause I think other people sometimes get crippled for you ahead of, you know, more, <laughs> they're more traumatized than you are. It's like, oh my God, <laughs> this is going to happen. It's so bad, but it's, you know, it's just, it's funny. So I think the way that you positioned it is good. And so did you share that whole story? Like, what are you doing now with the colorectal? Um, you have some involvement behind the scenes with that whole group, right? I do. I have some great involvement. Um, one of the things that came out of colorectal, uh, I have two things, my breast cancer, I'm part of the Amber program. So the Amber program studies women that have gone through breast cancer for five years. Um, and it's something that you have to volunteer to do, but they track me, they'll track me away. I go in every year for these amount of tests and physical tests and all of that. Um, and then what changes with food or, or your health, but then with colorectal cancer, I became, I got on a committee where they, it, 
goes to research colorectal cancers. Um, so we had to narrow it down to the top 10 things that needed a top 20, I should say, but it's really the top 10 of what needed to be researched in colorectal cancer. And it was an eight hour day. We were all on zoom because of course, course, social distancing. And it was, we had doctors, we had oncologists, we had surgeons, we had a patients of us that have gone through colorectal cancers mm -hmm. and we became, and it came out to what are, what should they research within colorectal cancers? And it was phenomenal to know that we came out of that and early detection being one of the main things that really needed to be um, focused in on because so many women that are young and going to their doctors and saying, you know, I have these symptoms. Well, you're too young for colon cancer. You're too young only to realize that by the time they find it, they're stage four and they're 28 years old. It's, it happens, you know, me, mine was chalked up as a side effect to chemo. If they would have done, you know, a rectal exam, they would have found it. Um, but my plastic surgeon found it when I brought it up saying it just has never gone away. It's still a symptom, you know, and only to find it boom. But that was one of the, the biggest things is getting an advocate in because I want my voice to be heard. And that is one thing that I want to do. So I'm going to be in with the doctors um, that were part of this and initiating this colorectal for me to go forward and help with some of that research or help with some of that being the voice for people because we are not alone. And the amount of cancers that are coming out nowadays versus what used to happen is even another thing. And so that is, I want to be an advocate. I want my voice to be heard. And that was why I shared my journey because I wanted to educate women that, you know, here I am coming from a family that has never had breast cancer and I had breast cancer in both breasts, um, you know, to find out that I've had my rectum and my anus removed and I have a colonoscopy for the rest of my life. What does that look like? You know, I'm 45 now and I operated one way for 45 years and now another way for however long, but I wanted to be a voice and that's where I'm get in wherever I can to be a voice for people and myself. And what's this jumping out of plane shenanigans you were talking about? So I was the inspiration. So my realtor, so when I was going through breast cancer, I decided, you know, it was a great idea to sell my house. Um, at the same time, I was going through treatments. Um, but I wanted to downsize my life because we put so much onus on, you know, having the fancy car and having the big house and everything else. But, you know, when do you get to travel? When do you get to go out hiking? When do you get to go camping? When do you get to do all these things? Well, you're too busy making all the money to pay for everything you have without actually enjoying it. So I downsized my life and I was selling my house and my realtor was very inspired by me with my journey of breast cancer. And he wanted to do something in the name of cancer. So he created an event with and for kids cancer, because I couldn't imagine being a parent and being and having them being diagnosed with cancer for especially what I went through as an adult, I can't imagine ever going through that as a child. And so we started an event, it's called jump for the cure. And it's skydiving. And we had our first event this past uh, summer, and we're going to do and we raised $7,500. Our goal was 10. We didn't make it there, but we hope to this year. Um, and we're going to skydive out of a plane in this summer well, for jump and it's going to go for this kids. year <laughs> that's awesome that is awesome. Oh, i love it so yeah. how do people get involved teresa can they reach out to you by email instagram you tell us i'm on facebook i'm on instagram they are more than welcome to absolutely follow me on there it's yeah you guys it's absolutely amazing um you can go to kids uh kids uh kids cancer is the other one that you can go to 
they'll have all the events coming up there, but uh, Jump for the Cure will be on there. But when it gets closer and we're starting to fundraise, I will be very, very active on my social media for Jump for a Cure. Love it. Love it. Well, we're coming up on the hour. What an amazing story today. I can't be be happier to first of all see you it's been a while since we've seen one another and so happy you could join us here today words of wisdom and i i really hope that you served as an inspiration i know you have for many many people that are listening and seeing you today uh leah i think uh i'm gonna turn it over to you for a few words and then maybe uh we have a song request of the day we have a little song request for the day so i just want to invite everyone to uh, love yourselves, love each other, mind your minds, and we're going to wrap with the lyrics. So go for it, Lyric Master. That's All you. right. So <laughs> this uh, song of the day was from Teresa Llewellyn. So one of your songs that really um, means a lot to you from Av Avril Lavigne, Head Above Water. So here's the lyrics. I'm not going to sing it. Oh. <laughs> I joke every week I'm going to sing. <laughs> okay, here we go. I got to keep the calm before the storm. I don't want less. I don't want more. Must bar the windows and the doors to keep me safe, to keep me warm. Yeah, my life is what I'm fighting for. Can't part the sea, can't reach the shore, and my voice becomes the driving force. I won't let this pull me overboard. God, keep my head above water. Don't let me drown. It gets harder. I'll meet you there at the altar as I fall down to my knees. Don't let me down, or don't let me drown, drown, drown. Don't let me, don't let me, don't let me drown. So pull me up from down below, because I'm underneath the undertow. Come dry me off and hold me close. I need you now, I need you most. God, keep my head above water. Don't let me drown, it gets harder. I'll meet you there at the altar as I fall down to my knees. Don't let me drown, drown, drown don't let me don't let me don't let me drown and i can't see in the stormy weather i can't seem to keep it all together and i i can't swim the ocean like this forever and i can't breathe god keep my head above water i lose my breath at the bottom come rescue me i'll be waiting i'm too young to fall asleep god keep my head above water don't let me drown it gets harder I'll meet you there at the altar as I fall down to my knees. Don't let me drown. Don't let me drown. And keep my head above water. Above water. By Albert Levine. Head above water. Thank you, Teresa. That was beautiful lyrics for today. Um, again, so inspirational you are. It's lovely to see that smile still on your face. It uh, can light a million candles, so to speak. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks again, everyone. Have a great rest of your week. We'll see you on the next episode next Monday. That's all for us. Bye for now. Thank you for being a part of our program today. Master Your Life is a presentation of Leah Mattinson Enterprises, Inc. Join us next time on Master Your Life, helping you to discover the very best of you.